0: Well, we launch into a new series today, and uh, I'm going to have another moment of transparency with you. Uh, Last night, I was just revisiting the material, and like I do every Saturday, I pray, and I prep, and uh, I memorize, and I work through the material. And I realized that I had uh, well over an hour worth of things to share with you guys today, And then I looked at the service order and said, I don't have that kind of time. I stopped at an hour, and I was nowhere close to done. So I had to repackage this a little bit. Um, Some of it will become part of another thing because there's just so much good information in there. But uh, I'm really excited about this next uh, season and series that we're jumping into, and we're calling it New Beginnings. So we finished the upgrade series. If uh, you missed any piece of those, uh, catch it online. Uh, it was amazing. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Uh, caught about half of it so far. You're, you're doing good. So unless you tanked the end, it was a phenomenal week last week. <laughs> no, I really appreciate Pastor Chris. And uh, anyways, uh, we're launching into this series about new beginnings. And it's interesting that in our lives, we find ourselves many times at a crossroad where we have a new beginning. Sometimes those new beginnings are connected to our circumstance. When we graduated high school, our lives had a new beginning. Some of us entered a career and we had a new beginning. Some of us had a career change, and our career sometimes was ripped from us, changed, whatever it was, and we had a new beginning. For some of us, that first, second, third, fourth, fifth, I don't know, some of you are crazy, Sixth babies came along, and each one represented a new beginning, We had to start again and plan again and structure again and build again, and things were different. Some of us hit retirement, and it was a new beginning. What do we do in this season? Some of us hit a phase where now those that used to take care of us, we take care of them, and it was a new beginning. So... Our lives are full throughout all these different seasons of New Beginnings. Sometimes we're just cruising along on a path and we have a deep breath in a moment and we realize God's doing something new and different. And we are, just by circumstance, finding ourselves in New Beginnings. And so this morning I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about the power of a new beginning. Now, new beginnings can be scary. Sometimes they require a lot of risk. For my wife and I, moving up here was an incredible new beginning beginning. So I was looking at uh, different businesses that started and how many of them failed and how many times the guy from Macy's went bankrupt before Macy's made it. And the 22 times that Dr. Seuss's first book was rejected before I think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, finally became a book. And I was looking at all of these times, but one particular story really struck me about striking out on a new beginning. And it has to do with uh, the co-founder of Apple, And so if you know uh, anything about Apple, you know that Apple's a pretty big deal nowadays. And so back in 1976, it was not a big deal. It was three guys. Some of you are thinking right now, three guys. Yeah, it was three guys. There were three guys. Um, Some guy named Steve Jobs. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Um, He went on to do pretty big things, I guess. It was pretty successful. Some other guy, also named Steve Wozniak. I don't know how to say it. We'll call him Woz for the... uh, uh, podcast so I don't have to butcher his name over and over again. But there was a third guy named Ron. And when the company started, the two Steve's were young bucks. And they realized that young guys in charge of things get in fights and arguments and get passionate. So they wanted a third guy to kind of round out the team. So they found an old guy that they could add to the team. They knew him from back in our Atari days. And his name was Ron. And they said, Ron, we're going to each take 45% of our new company, and we're going to give you 10%, and you're going to be the deciding vote every time we get in a fight or an argument, because we, we just need an old guy to tell us with some wisdom which direction to go, and you're the old guy that we know, so we want to bring you into the company. Ron said, sweet, I'll do that. Sign the contract, 10% owner of the business. Well, Ron was an entrepreneur, and he started a coin-operating gambling uh, thing in Vegas, and it tanked. And when it tanked, he found himself thousands of dollars in debt. Now, he was nervous because he was also 10% owner in this brand new company, this little thing called Apple. So he had designed the Apple logo, the first logo. He had actually written the first Apple manual to go with their uh, first computer. But he was concerned that these two hotheads were also going to financially cause him some stress. So he went to them and he said, I think I want to sell my 10% back to you guys. And they said, that's okay, Ron. If you don't want to be in the company, we'll take your 10% stake. We value that at about $800. So in 1976, Ron received a check for $800 for 10% of Apple. That 10% is currently valued at $52.6 billion. Yeah. New beginnings are hard, they're stressful. They involve risk. They involve vision. They take a little faith. And sometimes there's a lot of fear involved. But they're oftentimes, oftentimes worth the risk. So I want to give you today, I'm going to do a thing that I don't do very often. I'm going to give you a phrase that is easy to remember and it's a, it's a little trick that speakers do where we start every word with like the same letter so that you can remember it. But here's what I want to do today talking about uh, new beginnings. I'm going to give you guys uh, a couple of uh, faith uh, tools and then one very, very simple truth or a couple of faith truths and one very, very simple tool. So I want to give you one simple, simple tool. And when I give you the tool, you're going to be like, well, that's really obvious. And then later on, when I talk about the tool, you're going to be like, I don't like you very much. And so it's a tool, okay? So a tool is only as good as you use that particular tool. Now, here's what's really cool. This tool isn't like a scripture out of the Bible. And so if you're not really a Bible person or you're not 100% sure on everything Bible, you don't have to dismiss this out of hand because it's not a verse out of the Bible. Now, it's a principle that comes out through the Bible, but it's just a principle in nature that makes a lot of sense. And when I say it, you're going to be like, that is so obvious. Why are you bothering me with that? But I want you to learn it. And later on, trust me, it's going to make a lot of sense. So here it is. It's a little phrase. It all starts with D. And it's simple. Direction not desire, determines your destiny. Direction, not desire, determines your destiny. Now I threw a bunch of D words in there to help you out so that you can hold on to that, okay? So I'm going to leave that up there for a minute so that you can just let that soak in, and I'm going to make that make sense. You can steal it. You can rephrase it if you have better words than I have, because the principle is very simple. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to get somewhere? All right. Let me ask you another question. Did you make it to the place you wanted to go? Okay. How did you do that? Yeah. You went in the direction of the place. So if you want to go to uh, what's the big park downtown, Pioneer Park or whatever, right? If you want to go to Pioneer Park, you got to go north, right? Now there's a lot of ways you can go, right? You can take different little paths, and some of you got little shortcuts to get off Meridian as soon as possible, and right. You guys all have different ways to get there. But if you ever wanted to go there and you got there, you went that direction. It's the only possible way for you to have gotten there. You had to choose to go that direction. So let me give you another example. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that you and your family or your friends have decided that you are going to do a weekend in Seattle. You really want to go to Seattle. You start planning it. You pick a date on the calendar. You all ask for the day off. Some of you who are planners, it's like months ahead. Some of you, it's next weekend. You pack up your stuff. You go online and you see what cool things are in town. You buy tickets to a game and to a show, and you get a hotel room, and you bring all of your Seattle gear, all of your stuff. And then the day arrives, and you've been planning. Your desire is to go to Seattle. You're excited. You load up the family. You make sure everyone goes to the bathroom like seven times if you got kids. You look at them. You tell me you went to the bathroom. <laughs> okay. You get everybody in the car. You pile into the car and you're driving down 512 and you hit Interstate 5. And all you want to, do, even when you get in it, before you get in the car, you do that moment where you're like, God, I just pray for traveling mercies. Get my car there. I don't want any pressure. You know, help us no traffic, whatever it is. You know, just get there so we don't have to strangle each other. We can have a good time, right? You have that moment. You get to Interstate 5, but you take I-5 South. How long driving on I-5 South before you get to Seattle? A long time. I know the world's round, but I don't think I-5 goes all the way around it. I'm pretty sure you can drive on I-5 South forever until it ends. I don't know, somewhere in Tijuana or something. And you will never reach Seattle. But you say, wait a second, Pastor Mike. What I want is to go to Seattle. I planned to go to Seattle. I dreamt about going to Seattle. I prepared to go to Seattle. I bought tickets. I even prayed that we'd have a safe trip to Seattle. Then I got on I-5 South. You know what I said? I'm not getting to Seattle It does not matter how much desire you have. If your direction does not align with your desire, you will never reach your destiny. You know that principle. In geography, it makes total sense. And some of you are like, okay, yeah, I got it. That's easy. We're all friends, right? All right, let's go there a little bit. So we all want to go somewhere. We have a desire. Some of you have desires in your finances. Let's start there. That one's fun. (laughs) And you have a destiny that you believe you should arrive at in your finances. And you got desires. I want to be financially free. I don't want to be a slave to Visa. I'm tired of MasterCard. I want to be generous. I want to give things away to causes that I'm passionate about. But then I look at your checking account. I look at the way you've stewarded your resources. I look at your principles and your generosity and whether or not you align with some of the things that the Word of God says. And it looks like your direction is pointing somewhere else. But you really want to go to this place that you think is your destiny. That you believe. Maybe the word of God even says it's your destiny. But your direction is pointing somewhere else. And you know what you do? You get mad. You get mad at God. You get mad at circumstances. And you go, hey, this isn't what I desire. How did I end up here? And I said, well, I don't know. Look at your direction. Oh, we got all serious all of a sudden. Some of you, let's keep digging until everybody doesn't like me. Some of you really want to have a good marriage. And you look at the word of God and it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you're like, you know what? I ain't submitting. I want a good marriage. But this kid doesn't submit. It's my way or the highway. Doesn't she read the next verse? And she's thinking, doesn't he read the next verse? None of you can get past verse 520. You can't even get to the other stuff because it starts with submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And you're like, I ain't submitting to nobody. I know the next verse that's coming. And you look at your marriage and you're like, why is my marriage on a collision course with chaos and fighting and war and so many things that it's not what I want? That's not my desire. I want a good marriage. Okay. Okay. Well, how come your direction isn't pointing that way? How come it's not pointing that way? You see, direction, not desire, will determine your destiny. Now, some of you I haven't even gotten to the Word of God yet, and you could go home. You could just write that down, start evaluating some areas in your life, and just be real, right? There's some places in your life right now where you're like, okay, do I go? Okay, I'll keep going. Some of you are still my friends, so let's keep going. Let's talk about kids. I really want my kids to serve the Lord. It's the most important thing. It's my biggest desire, except I also want them to be the star of every team, and I don't want them to not get involved in every extracurricular, and I want to live all my dreams through them uh, that I didn't get to do because my parents didn't take me on all these traveling teams so they're expensive. Well, I don't know what it is. here you pick your thing. And so you know, sometimes we make a church, but you know, sometimes we don't, and we don't really have time to pray together at night. And, you know, I don't really spend too much time because that's some pastor's job to make sure they know the Bible someday. And so they better have a good youth program there, even though he goes, you know, once every three months, whatever. And you say, but what really matters to me is that my kids grow up and know and of the Lord. And I'm like, okay. So there's a, there's a path that points that way. Are you, are you in that direction with them? Have you moved that way? Now some of you are like, wait a second, I did all those things, didn't work Come on, just give me a second. We're, work, we're working through a principle here, okay? And the principle is true, that direction, not desire, will determine your destiny. I bet there's some other desires in your life that you've already thought out. You know, the truth is we're all going to end up places in our lives, and some of us are going to end up there on purpose. Some of us are going to end up there accidentally, but wherever we end up, it will be the result of our direction. I can tell you this in, wow, too many years, 15 or so years of doing student ministries. The most fresh people ask me all the time, what's the hardest thing doing youth group, doing youth ministries, doing being with teenagers? The hardest thing doing that world, the hardest thing without question is looking right in the eye of some young person and saying, listen, if you do this, this will be the end result. Please, for the love of God, don't do this. And them going, okay, okay. And then they go do it. Right? Parents, you know this. But, but, but as a youth pastor for 15 years, so 15 generations of teenagers, if you do this, right? If you chase that person, if you make those decisions, if you do that, this will be the end result. That's the destiny of that. If you want. But if you say you want this destiny, let's go this way. Yeah, I want that destiny. And then, whoop, I go this way. Right? time after time after time after time after time the hardest thing why because they don't get this principle doesn't make sense they don't have any wisdom yet it's okay to not have wisdom you're growing you're learning wisdom sometimes you got to learn please learn from others' examples and not always by touching the stove but your direction not your here's a great one happens in that world all the time i only want to date a boy who loves jesus that's awesome that's a great direction to take but but if he's cute i'm saying yes that's also a direction. That's also a direction. Then they hit their 20s and their 30s, and they wonder why they have this, this laundry list of horrible relationships. And they say, Well, that wasn't my destiny. How can that happen? Well, I can tell you why that happened because that's the direction that you went. And that's the end result of that direction because direction, not desire, determines your destiny. You feel that yet? Are we there? All right. Here's what's crazy is God really cares about the direction of our life. He really cares. I mean, he cares a lot because he understands this principle. So I'm going to take you in the word. I wanted wanted to take you in the word through the life of Abraham. I wanted to talk about faith, but I realized that I would need an hour and a half to go all the way through the life of Abraham. So I was looking in the word to how to somehow summarize the life of Abraham and what's amazing is in Acts chapter 7 Stephen summarizes the life of Abraham so I'm going to take us to Acts chapter 7 to talk about Abraham who's in Genesis chapter 11 and we're going to bounce back and forth a little bit um, and I'm going to use uh, Stephen's summary in order to make that happen now I love Stephen one of my favorite guys in the Bible he shows up for two chapters and then he's dead which is pretty awesome so in Acts chapter 6 we meet Stephen and the church has exploded, it's taken off, and they've realized that the church is growing and the needs of the body are bigger than the 12 disciples can manage. And so they've got to find some guys that can help them reach people and serve people and be the church, not just go to church, be the church. So they start looking for some people that can help them do that. And they choose Stephen because Stephen is a stud. He has an amazing epitaph. In verse 5, it says he was full of faith. And of the Holy Spirit. And if you're full of faith and the Holy Spirit, there's some things that God can do in you and through you. Come on now. And so Stephen has a new beginning. He's not that, and then he becomes that. Now he's full of faith and he's full of the Holy Spirit, and that's pretty dang exciting. And in Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 7, it says, So the word of God spread. Now that's amazing. That's what happens when somebody gets full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. When someone believes that God can do what he says he does, and is empowered by God to do it. And it says the number of disciples in Jerusalem it increased rapidly, so that a large number of priests became read religious folks became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, so first he was faith in the Holy Spirit. Now he's got grace and power. He's like the package. He did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. And opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue, the church of the freedmen, uh, the Jews in Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicily and Asia. So they didn't like him because he was doing good. These men began to argue with Stephen. Check this out. But they couldn't stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. So what happens? Stephen begins to kind of rub people the wrong way. Says they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and God. So they stirred up the people and the elders of the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's their court, their religious court. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to him. Now, why is this offensive? I've got to make this make sense really quick. Stephen's preaching. He's in Jerusalem. Jesus has died, rose again. The Holy Spirit showed up. The church has exploded. There's like 3,000 people, and they're all giving their hearts to God. And Stephen is telling people, you guys got half the story, but God's completed the story, and you've missed the other half of the story. Jesus is the Son of God. He came. He died. He rose again. He conquered sin so you can be forgiven. You don't have to go to the temple to meet with God anymore. You can meet directly with God because Jesus has torn the veil. It is now accessible and available To you, Jesus overcame what's happening in the temple is not a big deal anymore, and this is offensive to church folks because they believe God hangs out at the temple, and all of a sudden, I don't have to go to temple anymore. You mean I don't have to go to church to hear from Jesus? No, you can and you should, and it helps, but you can meet with Jesus in your room while you're driving, while you're having your latte. And Stephen has ripped open this truth to them, and he's constantly just hammering them with this understanding that God loves them and is personally invested in their lives, and they can connect directly with God, and they don't need the temple for that to happen. Well, that ticks them off. They're holding on to a belief that God's in one place, that He's impersonal, that He's dispassionate. He's only there. So if that place is threatened, you've threatened God. That's what's going on. Verse 15. All that were sitting in the Sanhedrin, they looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like a face of an angel. That's pretty awesome. Thanks, Luke, for writing that. Stephen somewhere is in heaven, like fist bumping Luke, like, score. Thanks for pointing that in there. Make sure people know I was good looking. Then the priest asked him, are these charges true? Chapter 7, verse 2. To this he replied, and he goes into Abram's story. He says, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. These details are important. And he said, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. This is a new beginning. God shows up to Abram. He's got a family. He's got wealth. He's established. He's got a path. And he says, I have a new destiny for you. And you're going to have to change your direction If you want to get there, you're in Harem. I'm going to send you west to Canaan. I had to do it in my head. Never, ever. I'm going to send you west to Canaan, to a land you haven't been to. But when you get there, I am going to bless you. You're going to have a new job, in a new land, in a new place. Now, let me ask you this question Stephen's making a defense that God doesn't just live in a temple, in a box. Where do you think God is when he's talking to Abraham? Is God in Canaan in Jerusalem at the eventual site of the temple, shouting across the desert, Abraham, come this way. That's what Stephen's doing. He's mounting a defense that it is logically insane since their first origin of their faith for them to assume that God will only interact with them in a temple. He's saying, Abraham was just out doing his thing and god showed up and said come with me to this other place god's always been relational god's always wanted to move us into our destiny god's always wanted to be with us moving us as, as along the journey as we go on the direction towards our destiny verse four says so he left the land of the chaldeans and he settled in haran and after the death of his father god sent him to this land where you're now living so we stop here for a second. Stephen says, Abraham left his home, and he settled in Haran with his dad. And eventually, he gets to see Jerusalem. Now, I thought this was interesting. So we've got to go actually to the real story here to, to pull the pieces together. So I'm going to take us to Genesis for just a moment, and then we'll come back. So in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, we meet somebody. We meet Terah. Some of you are like, who's Terah? We've well, got to read a little bit. Now, Tara is not famous like Abraham. Now, how many of you, when I say Abraham, you know who I'm talking about? No matter what your Bible history is, you have some understanding that Abraham, you've heard Father Abraham, many sons, right? What's crazy is Abraham is incredibly famous. If you look across almost all of the major faiths, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, that's like 1.6, 2.4, it's like 5, 4 billion people on the planet right now who all point back to Abraham as the catalyst of their faith. That's how significant Abraham is, okay? Everybody knows Abraham. Nobody knows Terah. It's going to be significant in just a moment. So this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now that's Haran the person, not Haran the place. And Haran became the father of Lot. We know Lot. And his, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died, so his big brother died, in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his father. Birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Eventually it's going to be Sarum. Eventually he's going to be Abraham, if that's confusing. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Then listen, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of the son of Aram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Now, hold on right there. Stephen just told us that Abram, while he was still in Mesopotamia, I know it's a lot of words, let me make it make sense, while he was still in Ur of the Chaldeans, he heard from God that he was supposed to go to Canaan, but he heard a very specific instruction. He said, you got to leave your family behind, leave your father's house, and go to Canaan. Now, we read the actual historical story, and it looks like dad goes with him. So Abram gets a specific instruction of a destiny. He heads off in that direction, but there's some things in that direction that he's supposed to do. He starts right off, and he blows it. This is really important for us to know. Abram's going to blow it all throughout this passage. He's going to blow it over and over and over and over and over again. But he starts off blowing, and he brings dad with him. He's not supposed to bring dad with him. Here's what happens to us. We get a direction from God, and we start moving in that direction. And then we see conflict, and it derails us. Look what happens. It says, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. They're on their way. I wish I I should have brought a map for you so I could show you this. Some of you are getting lost in the history, but I just want to show you this. It's very simple. Abram is here. He's supposed to go here. In order to get there, he's got to follow a river that goes like this, Euphrates. He goes up the Euphrates. He gets about halfway there, and dad, dad, who's not supposed to be with him, says, Hey, let's camp out up here. Well, guess who wins? Dad wins, right? Dad's in the house. Guess who wins? Dad wins. He was supposed to leave Dad behind and go where he was supposed to go on his destiny, his direction. And it changes his direction right off the bat. Let me make this make sense in our terms. He's trying to get to Seattle, but he brings his dad with him. He didn't want to bring his dad on the trip. They see some traffic. Dad's got to use the restroom. So they pull off in Fife. Dad says, I like it in Fife. We'll just stay here. You're with me now, right? Is Fife where God called him to go? No. He He had a destiny. He was supposed to get to Seattle. And now he's living the Fife life. And he's there, and he's stuck there. And Stephen says he ends up waiting there all the way until his dad dies. Now listen, let me bring this home. Direction. Direction. Sometimes we get our life moving in a certain direction because we know God's called us to go that way. And we hit some obstacles, and we make a detour. We make a detour. And we camp in five. And we got good reasons to do it. We got reasons to stay there. Dad's getting old. I can't do the next thing I'm supposed to do. I'm taking care of whatever. Right? And we get stuck. It says, Tara lived 250 years. And then he died. 205 years. Then let's go to verse, chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord... 12 verse one words of that? Go back one. It says, verse one right there. Terry lived 205 years. It says, the Lord had said to Abram. doesn't say the Lord said. said he had said. God had already spoken a destiny to him. God had already given him a dream. God had already pointed him in a direction. He'd been sitting on this dream for years. And finally, he moves forward. It starts his life in that direction. And the dream was this. Go from your country, from your people, from your father's household to the land. I'll show you and I'll make you into a great nation. That's where I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll make, I will bless those who bless you and never curses you, I'll curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. There's a huge dream. But he goes on a detour. Let's let Stephen wrap this up. We'll go back to Acts chapter 7 verse 5. Stephen says, he was given no inheritance here. Not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that his descendants after him would possess the land. And even though at that time Abraham had no child. You see, God be- Abraham believes that God can do it. He gets a destiny. It lines with his desire. And he believes that God can do it, even though he never sees it. You know, he never owns any land in Canaan except for a burial plot. But he... hears the word of God and he believes it. He gets into the promises of God and he believes it. He understands that there is something better for his life and he has a destiny and he believes it. Let's jump all the way to verse 8. It says, then he gave Abram the covenant of circumcision. And Abram became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after. You know, I was going to give you a, a fun moment here just for a second because this is how my mind works. I love knowing that the Bible is real. And here's how I know it's real. Because it would be patently insane at 75 years old for Abram to be, you know what I think would be a good thing? Let's all get circumcised. Now I, I know that that's crazy. But this is how you know we heard from God. Because this doesn't happen. This is 4,100 years ago. Fellas, you're welcome. 4,100 years ago, this thing starts. Abram hears from God. He's a grown man. And he says, God, I believe your promise. And you gave me a way to seal the deal. So I'll do it. And his whole household does it. We know there's like over 300 men in this household because they fight a battle. He lines them up. Genesis 15:6. Come back to me. Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Now, this is so big. Oh my gosh, this is so big. This is the difference when you're facing a new beginning and you're believing that God is doing something in this season of your life. The difference between success, between going north, between going south, between stopping in Fife and making it to Seattle. Do you believe the Lord? Do you believe? Abram messed it up time and time again. He messed it up all over the place. He lies. He lies again. He tells half-truths. He, 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 he's not perfect. He tries when God's plan doesn't seem to be working. He tries it on his own. He does all the things you and I do when we understand that God has a plan, but we haven't seen it because it's been like four days. He does all the things. But in all of that, he never stops believing that God who made a promise to him would keep his promise, that God who spoke to him would keep his promise. And Stephen wants us to understand that that same God, remember, Stephen's full of faith in the Holy Spirit, that same God is relationally promising destiny to us today. And it's available, it's available to you, it's available to me. In fact, Stephen, just because it's awesome, I'm going to take you to verse 51. Well, fast forward, he, he lays into them, and then they end up killing him for this one. He's like, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are all still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestor, and you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute it? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you betrayed and murdered him. I'll stop right there. That's a great way to make friends, by the way. I love Stephen. Sometimes we die on the way. Stephen died right after this. Sometimes the destiny, Hebrews 11 tells us that many of those that were promised things to, from God, they just pointed their life in that direction. They never got to Seattle. They knew Seattle was there. They just kept moving in that direction. And you know what Stephen wants us to hear? The journey is what matters. God's promises are true because he's with us on the journey. He's with us as we're growing. He's with us as we point our lives in that direction. And some of us have pointed our lives in the wrong direction. And he's still with you. He's still loving you. But he's like, hey, that way. Let's turn it around. We got to start in the right direction. So if you believe him, You believe he has a plan for you, or you headed in that direction. You know, I had a conversation this week with someone, and they're asking me about the Bible. And they're asking me about something they didn't like. You know I said, There's lots of stuff I don't like. And I just assume when I am grumpy with the word that I'm wrong. That's my basic premise. Right? I read that. God. It'd be so much easier. He said it a different way. But I'm going to assume, God, that your promises are true, that your love for me is what it says it is, that you are kind, that you are loving, that you do have a plan, that you have a destiny for us, and that it's bigger than anything I can ever ask for or imagine. And I'm going to assume that I'm not perfect and sometimes I'm wrong. I'll bounce it off Andrew if I get too really frustrated. Smart kid over there. God's a God of new beginnings. His mercies are new every morning. You are gifted with a new beginning. Sometimes you've got to leave it all behind to get there. But if you believe, Abraham's belief, believe God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can. This is why it's important to get in this book. I say this all the time. you got to get in this book. If you're not in this book, it's like you have a copy of a last will and testament that has entitled you to some inheritance, and you have failed to read it, And you're like, I just saw on the news some lottery winner lost their their 56 million in California because they never claimed it. They never claimed it. And it timed out. You got promises. Not 56 million, relax. It's not in there. If someone tells you it is, come talk to me. We'll both be grumpy together. It's not in there. There's promises in here for you. And sometimes the journey with God is more important it is the destiny. And if he promised that he's gonna do it, Abraham's kids got to experience I mean, we're all here because Abraham listened. It's pretty awesome. He only owned a plot of land to get buried in. That was it. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna we're gonna keep going, but I just want you to hear that today. There's a new beginning available for you. And for some of you, ever since I just mentioned that, that, that simple, my little, my little 3D for you. Can we put that back up there? A direction, not desire, will determine your destiny. Some of you just need to remember that today. Some of you you just get that into your core. That's like a tattoo you can do. That's a good one. No, don't do that. Teenagers, especially parents are just evil eye and stinking eye me right now. God, I just thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that you have a plan for us that's bigger and greater. And, and God, that you're with us on the journey. God, I know sometimes we short-circuit the journey. Sometimes you say you've got to leave something behind, but we, we want that thing, so we drag it with us. And while we drag that thing with us, it short-circuits how far we can go. We don't want to get stuck in this fight. We don't want to fight life. We don't want to get stuck on the destination and not reach it. God, there's some things that are stated desires, but if they were really our desires, we'd be moving that way. And if we were honest, if we looked at our time, our resources, whatever, our verbally stated desires have not been our desires. Our desires have been something else. God, align our desires with your promises so we can reach our destiny. We thank you. God, I pray for things that we've been holding on to. Some of us, even just hearing this truth is hurt. We've been holding on to some things. Pray we'd lay those things down. Trust you. Some of us have said, we desire our relationships to get better. But we can never forgive. We don't forgive. What? Well, okay, that's one direction. It's not going to go where you want it to go. Some of us, we've said... Man, we just want to serve you, God. We want to know you more. But, man, I don't have five minutes to get in the Word or to pray. Well, okay. Help us to align our direction. Help us to have that desire. God, some of us have been like, I don't even know what I desire. God, would you be the desire of our hearts? Give us big dreams. Give us God-sized dreams, I pray be with us on the journey. In Jesus' name. Amen.